0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wounded Blue Hour here on the America Outloud Network. I am your host, Randy Sutton, a retired police lieutenant from the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, 34 years total, and also the founder of the Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers, a nationwide charity that helps injured and disabled officers. I'm also author of several books, including A Cop's Life and the soon to be released Rescuing 911 The Fight for America's Safety. If you want to get a copy of that, uh, go to uh, rescuing911.org and sign up for a, uh, a copy when it comes out. So, this show is all about the mental, physical, and emotional well-being of America's law enforcement community and uh, we got a great guest waiting for you I can't wait to talk to him myself but first let's talk about what I call our reality check the reality check is this that the war on cops is very real and the war on cops is not just physical although this year alone um, there's been more than 325 police officers shot in the line of duty and and you know that number is astounding 325 cops shot in the line of duty the death toll is rising the attacks on law enforcement is rising but the reality is this that the war on cops is very much about other factors as well and that is the uh the war on cops is spiritual it is um uh a war being waged by the media against law enforcement by the political leadership in many cities district attorneys across the country who have targeted law enforcement officers it's a much bigger war and it affects not just the the physical health and well-being of our law enforcement community but the emotional and psychological health as well and that's why we see so much post-traumatic stress injury within our community so that's what this show is all about and that's what the wounded blue um, you know has taken on as its mission to help officers that are struggling so i want to bring in our guest and uh he's he's got a, quite a pedigree uh, paul belly is his name and uh he is a retired lieutenant from the Sacramento let me try that again sacramento county sheriff's department he is also the past president, recent past president of the International Homicide Investigators Association, and that is uh, a, a hell of an organization that is that we're going to talk about in depth. But he he's got a list of he's got a list of of, uh, of, of things behind his name. He's got a bachelor of science in criminal justice. Um, he uh, has been doing a lot of law enforcement stuff. He spent half of his career conducting investigations with 12 years of that in homicide. So he's got an incredible perspective. Paul, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate uh, you having me here.
0: Absolutely. So, all right, before we get into the meat, if you will, the meat of our discussion today, I want the audience to get a sense of who you are. So if you would, let's talk about your law enforcement career, first of all. What was it that caused you or that inspired you to choose law enforcement as a career?
1: You know, it's funny. Um, I originally was uh, like a a science major, biology, chemistry. I thought I wanted to do maybe pediatrics, uh, something along those lines. I ended up uh, kind of switching that up a little bit and thinking uh, about uh, uh, forensic science and uh, I went on a ride along. Funny enough, uh, with the uh, city of Sacramento, um, I was doing some volunteer work for them. Just kind of, kind of interested in law enforcement, and the uh, ride along pretty much cemented it for me.
0: <laughs> so that was it, huh? You said, "Oh no, no, I think I think I'm going <laughs> to be a cop instead."
1: It was, you know, and, and I'd, I'd worked a lot of different jobs, uh, put myself through school, so uh, construction work and. I took a little longer getting through school than I, I probably would have had I not bought a few toys and things of that nature. So, um, you know, I had a little bit of life experience. I didn't get into it till I was 25. Um, I had uh, switched my major almost right after that that ride along and uh, to criminal justice and um, had buckled down, gotten through my degree in in record time, uh, considering that I had kind of Messed around a little bit in the beginning, but uh, it took me a little while to find out exactly what I wanted to do. And I got hired in 1998. Um, Prior to that, I worked actually at our um, uh, juvenile facility uh, for about a year uh, as a, kind of like a part-time counselor type thing uh, where you're basically running um, uh, our boys ranch. Uh, And that was an interesting experience, but it also kind of led me to know that uh, I really wanted to work kind of the the street uh, uh, side of of things. And uh, my interest in forensic science uh, obviously brought me to wanting to be uh, in detectives, work homicide, that kind of thing. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up uh, Reno, Tahoe. uh, And uh, about middle of high school, we ended up moving down to the Sacramento region. Uh, So um, I was in Sacramento, I went to Sac State, um, you know, and at that time trying to find uh, agencies that would um, put you through the academy were kind of few and far between. So um, we have kind of a unique uh, ability there in Sacramento with the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office to put yourself through an academy uh, as an unaffiliated. Uh, cadet, <clears throat> you go through the, their academy, and you know I was fortunate enough to not only complete the six month academy, but also uh, get hired uh, with the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office.
0: That is interesting, and and there are there are some states that allow that, um, and that's interesting. So you put yourself through the academy, not knowing that you didn't have a job lined up yet, but um, hopeful that 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 all of that time and effort would lead you to getting hired. How did you, so did you have to test during the process of being in the academy for the sheriff's job?
1: You do, you you go through a test to get into the academy and then, um, you know, obviously testing throughout the academy. And then uh, in addition to that, um, you know, you're still applying at at agencies. So you're going to be going through their testing processes as well. Um, hoping that, you know, everything lines up perfectly when you get done with the academy, that you have a job. So, um, you know, I I had tested with other agencies prior and, um, you know, some I did okay at and others uh, I didn't do so well. Um, So it had a lot of growth in the academy, and I think that was – uh, what helped me to ultimately be successful and getting hired with the sheriff's office. Um, you know, obviously I think there's a little bit there of how you do in the academy too, right? And they're getting firsthand look at um, maybe what kind of a employee you'll be or a police officer you'll be later on.
0: Sure thing. Just out, out, out of curiosity. So out of the, how many people were in that police academy and were they all self? Driven people, or were they? Were there also people that had already been hired by the sheriffs and were going through the academy?
1: So our particular academy was um, all unaffiliated. So uh, we didn't have any um, individuals in there that were being paid to go through. That does happen uh, during our academies, and you know there might be a handful or maybe half the class, uh, you know, is actually being paid to go through the academy. Uh, Interesting. I think we started, we started with like 62, and I think we graduated 28 people, um, wow. so. That's,
0: that's a hell of an attrition rate.
1: It's a little bit of an attrition rate, uh, and, and it's a, it was the full time. So uh, I was working on weekends, and uh, we had a lot of folks in there that were working at night, and, Working on weekends and going to the academy, seven a.m. to four p.m. every day, uh, as well, and then weekends for uh, emergency driving operations and that kind of thing.
0: Oh, it's a big commitment. So you uh, you, you went through that. You got hired by the sh- the Sacramento County Sheriff's. How big an agency is that?
1: Uh, we are about sixteen hundred sworn deputies. Um, so if with our agency. Uh, all of the uh, sworn staff go through an academy. So um, even the ones that work at our um, correctional facilities. So uh, you go through the academy and at that time, uh, we immediately were then assigned to either courts, corrections, uh, or work release. And your name essentially goes on a list um, that I think when I got to the jail, I had about 180 people ahead of me that were on the list to go to patrol. So, um, I spent about uh, a little, little under two years, uh, in the jail, uh, in, in all of our jails, actually both of our jails. Uh, and then, um, I was selected to actually go work uh, regional transit detail, um, which was a joint, uh, city police department and county, uh, policing effort specifically for buses and light rails in Sacramento.
0: Okay. All right. Now let's talk about your assignments. So during your, you you you, you had a, a a long career. Uh, tell me about the assignments that you had.
1: Yeah, I was very fortunate. Um, I think the the neat thing about a, a a sheriff's office is there are a lot of different places to go. We had we have a lot. So uh, I went to patrol. Uh, like I said, to regional transit. Um, was fortunate to get selected with that. I got out of jail a little early. Got an early release date. Which I joke about. <laughs> Uh, And then um, after that, I went to uh, our our regular patrol, rotated uh, into regular patrol, worked as a a field training officer. uh, And and I had kind of developed a little bit of a passion for training in general. So even during my time in the jail, um, I had uh, become a firearms instructor, uh, less lethal, um, force options uh, as well. So training in the field uh, was, probably one of my most rewarding uh, assignments. Uh, Not only is it uh, probably one of the hardest assignments, um, but it it is very rewarding that you're basically training people that are gonna be your partners. Uh, So I I enjoyed doing that. I was selected um, for our uh, what we call the high impact motor team. So uh, I'm a huge uh, uh, dirt bike rider, been riding motorcycles since I was little. And uh, they put together a uh, novel team that was 10 people on motorcycles, uh, where we would go and affect crime uh, in areas based on uh, crime stats uh, that they were looking at. So if you had a burglary series going, then they would deploy us if it was daytime during the day in in particular areas. So you're using using traffic uh, to actually go out there and suppress, or. Uh, affect crime uh, and keep it, uh, keep it down. So that was, that was a lot of fun. Two years, two years of that. And then uh, I went to my first assignment in detectives, um, which was in sex assaults. Um, And at that time, um, our homicide bureau only had, I think about eight detectives. So I was in sex assaults for about six or seven months. And they ended up Uh, increasing the number of homicide detectives we had uh, to uh, 12. And I got selected to go to homicide uh, as well. So very, very fortunate to, sometimes I guess it's timing, um, but uh, very fortunate to be able to get there uh, when I did. Uh, And I stayed in homicide for just under eight years as a detective and then promoted to sergeant and with our agency, uh, every time you promote, you go back to the jail. Uh, so uh, as a sergeant, I went back to the jail uh, for about mm, 16 months or so and then was uh, selected to come back to homicide as a supervisor.
0: Well, you you paid your dues. You, <laughs> you seriously paid your dues. And then you yeah. spent the rest of your career as a, uh, a homicide supervisor. Is that correct?
1: So I did, I did three years uh, as a sergeant in homicide. Uh, I got promoted to sergeant or to lieutenant and then um, went back to the jail for a brief period of time and then out to patrol for about a year and a half. Um, And then at that time, I got uh, right when COVID hit, um, I got uh, sent to our downtown jail as the uh, assistant commander. So I think I was there for two years or for two days and then COVID all of a sudden um, brought the world to an end. Uh, And I did that for a year and then um, was selected and went back to uh, homicide as the assistant commander for our centralized investigations division.
0: All right, so let's concentrate on your your career in homicide. Because I think that that's, you know, uh, especially as you have chosen to continue, even though you're retired, you have served continually as both a trainer uh, and, and as a, an officer, an uh, uh, executive officer, with the International Homicide Investigators Association. Um, if I, tell us about the organization. Tell us about what, what the mission and the vision is of that organization.
1: Yeah, so uh, IHIA was founded in 19, 1988. It was uh, actually born out of a, uh, a VICAP meeting Um, So you had a number of homicide detectives and also uh, Federal Bureau of Investigations um, at uh, their behavioral analysis unit, uh, which oversees BICAP, And so they actually hatched the idea of this international uh, association dedicated to training. Uh, And um, it's been going strong uh, ever since then. Uh, We've got uh, a great, base, uh, not only within the United States, but also internationally uh, throughout many countries. Uh, Every year we do a symposium, uh, which is just a week-long training, and it's not uncommon for us to have uh, anywhere from 20 to 30 countries represented there um, uh, that are, you know, partaking in all the training. Going to our social events, uh, everybody's learning from 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 each other. It's amazing how, while the jobs are done differently, obviously throughout the, the world, um, I, th- I think
0: the detectives are are, are all uh, very similar people. That's interesting. So you're you're interacting with homicide cops from all over the world as um, you know you were the been the president of this organization. When you have a training, do you have these trainings all over the country?
1: Yeah, so our symposium, um, which is once a year in August, we do, um, you know, we pick cities and go to them. Our two staples are Washington DC and uh, New Orleans, uh, but we try to spread that out. And then we also have training courses as well. We do a foundational homicide investigations course uh, advanced uh cold case uh, no body homicide mass casualty and uh, a child uh, death investigation course as well and those are held uh, throughout the united states uh, with partner agencies so um, you know our our goal as an, as an organization uh, especially being a nonprofit, uh, is to provide the best quality training we can for the, the lowest possible cost so a week training for with us is uh, we charge like $400. So, um, you know, but we're fortunate because we have instructors that um, very commonly donate their time to, to be able to teach uh, all of our folks and to lend their expertise. Uh, whereas they could probably be making uh, quite a bit of money, uh, but they, they choose to actually donate uh, their time for us. And Uh, it works out well. We've also recently um, done three classes in Bogota, Colombia through ISITAP. So we've um, kind of fulfilled our international mission uh, in in that regards, and we're looking at a number uh, of other areas, Canada, Um, there's a possibility of uh, some training in Sri Lanka, things of that nature.
0: That's pretty impressive stuff. And of course, when you're talking about about murder investigation you're talking about the cream of the crop when it comes down to the importance of of the investigation of crimes i mean it is the apex predator if you will of the law enforcement world is murder and yeah, uh, yeah. and so all right so I, there's a there's so many questions i want to i want to ask you i want to really drill down into into some really important topics here now you're you yourself were a homicide cop. So you you investigator, just give me an estimate of how many murder investigations you personally were were part of.
1: Um, so I would say it's probably close to two hundred, um, maybe a few less, maybe a few more, that's right in that range. Um, Sacramento would very commonly, we'd have, uh, when I first started, um, 55 to 60 uh, homicides a year. And then we would also investigate officer-involved shootings. Uh, Unfortunately, during my time there, uh, we had um, eight murders of uh, police officers um, uh, that we we had to investigate. So um, I wasn't involved in in every single one of those. I think uh, I had about six that I had that I was involved in. But, you know, our team was, uh, uh unfortunately, uh, during that time, I uh, had to, had to deal with that, you know, having friends uh, murdered in the line of duty.
0: All right. You know, you, you just brought up something. This is the, <laughs> this is the first place where I want to really, um, go into depth because that's a very unique situation for a police officer to be assigned to, Um, to the death investigation of of a murdered cop i can't think of anything that 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 has more gravity than that so um not only are you on a quest for justice for that officer but if you would go into a little detail of let's talk about your first one your first your first Murder investigation of a police officer, and how that affected your you, you emotionally and psychologically, um, uh, you know, from that from that experience.
1: So it actually starts a little bit before I went to homicide. Um, we unfortunately, starting in 2006, um, kind of had that had a run of, of officers that were killed. Um, Jeff Mitchell was uh, the first investigation that I was involved in and I was initially involved in it uh, as uh, a high impact motor team uh, individual. So they would give us tips uh, that we were sent out to go run down, uh, investigate and flesh them out to, to their end. Uh, and um, unfortunately that case is um, still unsolved to this day. Uh, so, but I had um, that perspective of uh, being essentially a patrolman and, and, hey, go handle these these tips. These are the tips that are assigned to you, run those down, investigate it. And then um, as that investigation uh, progressed, I then uh, was selected into homicide and then was on the team uh, that had maintained that investigation uh, as well. So. Um, I then folded into being part of the, uh, the murder investigation at that time. Uh, in addition, um, in 2008, just before my, well, just after, uh, my assignment at, uh, homicide, uh, we had, uh, one of our, our officers, uh, uh, killed, uh, shot in the line of duty. He was one of our gang officers and <clears throat> that case uh, in large part, uh, came together pretty quickly. Um, sadly, uh, I, I think that, you know, Jeff's death, uh, taught a lot of the folks in the agency, um, you know, Maybe some better ways to do things in the future. I mean, prior to Jeff, I don't think we'd had anybody. Well, I know we hadn't had anybody killed in the line of duty since 1986. So, um, you know, those those types of cases are uh, um, while all too common now. Uh, <laughs> as you mentioned, 325 officers uh, killed in the line of duty.
0: Um, well, actually, there's also- 320, 320 officers shot in the line of duty, not killed. Sorry, shot.
1: In the- uh, not killed, um, but we've had significantly more uh, ambushes of police officers and, and just getting shot in the line of duty, the investigation is is largely the same. Um, you know, the, the nice thing is that you do have um, a, a victim that can be their own advocate uh, and, and tell you um, kind of what happened and what's going on. So, um, <clears throat> you know, ha- having uh, seeing the beginning portion uh, of Jeff and then where we were at when uh, Vu was killed in the line of duty, um, you know, I guess unfortunately, um, you do get better, right? You learn from, from some things. So, uh, Vu's case came together rather quickly, uh, they did a great job on that, and then uh, we then fast forward to uh, a number of others uh, that were uh, killed in the line of duty as well. Not only with our agency, but, uh, uh, with neighboring agencies as well.
0: All right. So we've got to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and pick it up from there.
2: Out loud. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with CoFix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID? Anyhow, CoFix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. CoFix RX is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. AmericaOutLoud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity.
0: One Nation Coffee. One Nation Coffee. Patriotic, uh, veteran owned, uh, very, very good coffee. I actually went down and visited their roasting facility and met with the folks down there, uh, John and his crew, and they are amazing people the coffee is delicious you order it online they bring it right to your house you can get the ground coffee you can get beans I like to grind my own they've got uh, also got these uh, you know the the containers that you put in your kerrig or whatever that thing is called so um one nation coffee go to OneNationCoffee.com. order your coffee and uh you'll get great coffee and you'll be supporting uh, a patriotic company that supports the wounded blue so uh, go to OneNationCoffee.com. I got a great idea for a Christmas present. Go to OfficerPrivacy.com and get yourself enrolled. Get it, for your, get it for somebody in the law enforcement community that you actually like, okay? All right, so what is OfficerPrivacy.com? Um, it is a company owned by law enforcement for a retired law enforcement, and it is manned by law enforcement or former law enforcement. They do all the work. Um, in fact, they don't employ anybody that doesn't have a law enforcement resume. So what do they do? They do some amazing stuff. I had no idea how much information was available about me on the Internet. I mean where I live. I, I have a concern about some of the people that that either I arrested or I had a, a contact with finding out where I live. And I found out that it's really easy because there's so much information about me and there's so much information about you on the Internet. And what OfficerPrivacy.com does, they actually go onto the Internet and they physically remove um, items that can identify you and, and, and lead to an officer safety issue. And we're all concerned with officer safety, whether you're current active law enforcement or you, or you did serve. It's, it's a legitimate concern. Don't you want to give every possibility a look, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, go to officerprivacy.com. It's not expensive. Uh, they do great work. I, I can vouch for them. I know personally, and I've sent a lot of people to them, and everybody's been happy with what they receive. And uh, they're, they're great folks over there. So go to officerprivacy.com and check them out. Tell them Randy sent you. Uh, They're they're kind of getting tired of hearing from me, I guess. But uh, I like them. I know what they're I know the job that they're doing. And uh, you're going to like them too. So officerprivacy.com. Now I want to tell you about the wounded blue. The wounded blue is the National Assistance and Support Organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers. We are a nationwide charity that's helped more than 14,000 cops in the last four and a half years that's an astounding number now we recognize injuries as either being physically injured or psychologically and emotionally injured we all know that post-traumatic stress can be as real as a bullet and so combating um, that the, the emotional and psychological issues facing our law enforcement community is paramount um, we have a peer advocate support team that's our number one mission and and remember this this is our motto never forgotten never alone because when you do get injured in the line of duty very often you are treated with great disrespect by your police agency by your law enforcement agency by the very city that you served and it's a very lonely journey i know i've been there and my entire team has been there everybody on the team has been shot stabbed beaten run over screwed up screwed over or faced post traumatic stress and faced that abyss and came out on the other side. So you don't have to struggle by yourself. Knowing that there's somebody that cares in and of itself alone can help you get through the journey. But we also have amazing resources. We get people into treatment all the time, whether it's treatment for addiction or just inpatient or outpatient treatment with culturally competent psychologists. And we have a lot of other resources, too. And um, so what I, I urge you, if you're law enforcement and you're struggling, you don't have to take this struggle by yourself. There are people that care. Um, go to thewoundedblue.org. See who we are. See what we do. And if you care about your cops, I urge you to donate. And don't wait for it and you're you're listening to this today go to the woundedblue.org website hit that donate button i beg you to give a donation even if it's just ten dollars a month ten dollars a month can help us and the more people that that uh, sign on to our cause and back up the blue that care about us well that's more people that we can serve so go to the woundedblue.org Hit that Donate button. Now, if you are a business a corporation, you want to become a major sponsor of the Wounded Blue or one of the events like the National Law Enforcement Survival Summit that's coming up in September. And if you're a cop, you want to be a part of this one because the, the, the seats are running out fast. Um, this is every aspect of surviving a law enforcement career with some of the most incredible speakers you will ever see. And it's all part of the mission of the wounded blue so go to the woundedblue.org see who we are see what we do sign up for the survival summit in september in las vegas and um and hit that donate button okay i'm i appreciate it and the people that we serve will certainly appreciate it let's bring our guest back in uh so i i i want to i want to get back where we were now so you 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 began investigating murders of police officers i want to ask you how did you cope with that yourself um you know it's when you when you investigate a murder of of a of a civilian you know that that has its set of challenges of course you're looking for that bad guy trying to you know put all the evidence together etc but when it's a fellow officer did it take any different type of significance for you?
1: Yeah, I think that, um, you know, obviously that's um, one of us, right? I mean, it's it's one of the family, uh, you know, it's a large family, but uh, it's still um, a friend, a coworker. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of personal significance when, when that does occur, especially considering the circumstances in which um, they very commonly happen. You know, they're out there keeping people safe. Uh, they're they're doing the the job that society needs done um, that they ask them to do, and um, you know, end up losing their life, uh, making that that ultimate sacrifice for for everybody. So uh, there there is a uh, a weight, uh, I think, to that um, being part of a large agency. I think. Um, you know, you don't, you know who everybody is, but it may not be a, a very close friend. Um, but I've seen in smaller agencies where I've, I've gone to assist and, you know, that's somebody that, that they work alongside every single day. Everybody knows them, you know, it's, it's maybe a little, uh, tighter knit family and you see the, the impact that that has, um, uh, on, on that department as a whole. Uh, can be pretty significant, <clears throat> you know. Oh. Personally, for me, I think um, there are uh, a lot of emotions you have to just kind of push aside and work through.
0: Ah, okay, you just hit the you just hit that little that little sweet spot right there for me, because what you just said has great significance. When you push aside these feelings, when you learn to cope with them and that's that's the word in your in your experience um, has any of this ever become what you might consider overwhelming at times overwhelming to the point where you know you had to you had to kind of take a moment and think you know maybe there's uh, there's some coping mechanisms that i'm using that may not be the right ones um you know, we all know that that um, that cops can fall into a, a lot of different categories when it comes down to you know dealing with post traumatic stress issues, especially when they don't want to share them. Did you ever find yourself falling into that realm?
1: Um, <clears throat> yeah, and, and I think uh, so. I, I had done peer support for a, a period of time in, in my earlier part of my career. So I had a little bit of that knowledge, um, but uh, I will say uh, when uh, in 2016 um, Bob French was killed in the line of duty, and um, uh, I was one of the the investigators. I was a sergeant at the time, but one of the investigators on that. Um, I had started my career with Bob. Um, you know, we weren't necessarily great friends outside of work, but uh, we had kind of come up together and. Um, you know, I went to uh, his autopsy, uh, which is something that um, we kind of have to do to make sure that we're our investigation is on track. Um, and I think um, that one kind of hit me pretty hard, um, so um, I needed to make sure that I was coping appropriately with, um, you know, I guess everything that was cumulative, and then uh, how, how that one actually kind of hit me hard. And, um, it hit a lot of people hard. I mean, he was a, one of our very long-term, uh, uh, patrol training officers. So there were a number of people on my team that, that he had, uh, trained in patrol, uh, and, and brought them up and, you know, was the foundation of where they were today. So, wow. so yeah, there, there's a lot of, um, I guess there's a lot of ways people can cope. Um, some of them not so good and, um, you know, your organization, I think one of the, the reasons that um, our association um, it, it wants to back uh, the Wounded Blue as much as they do is specifically because of that. Because we know that there are homicide detectives out there. I, I've got friends in homicide that have seen horrific things that I'm glad I didn't see, you know. Um, and Having an organization like yours that um, lets them know that you know they're not alone that that everybody goes through something uh, during their career uh, is pretty significant. And then you know this uh, your summit that, that you do. I, I wish there had been more of that in in my earlier career. Um, you know, I think we talked a lot about police officer suicide and how you should cope and things like that but there wasn't a lot that was actually um, showing you the way
0: you know the uh, the number of officer suicides so did you also investigate officer suicides
1: yes we would have um, fortunately I I did not have to
0: but would it was that a was that a, a homicide Bureau responsibility? It would have been a- Yes. So you were spared that, that uh, onerous task. Yes. Let me ask you this. <clears throat> so you've worked with hundreds of police officers over your career, including, you know, in the Homicide, in the homicide Bureau. Have you seen, um, in your experience, have you seen that people in that, in that realm, in that world, come to a point where they say you know what i just can't deal with this anymore it's time for me to voluntarily transfer to some other section or some other unit because i can't i just can't see another another dead body like this you know you you very nonchalantly talked about going you know to the to the uh, autopsy of of a man who was a friend of yours And until someone has actually seen an autopsy they don't know the horrendous nature of it i mean i still i literally still visualize when i was a detective back in princeton new jersey having attended my first um child autopsy and i gotta tell you that image still resonates with me so is it is it your experience And, and do you and as as a, an association, and you are training homicide cops from all over the world, is this something that is on your radar to train and help people cope with?
1: Uh, it is, and it is a component, uh, like in the foundational homicide course um, and, and advanced. And then at our symposium, uh, we're very fortunate that uh, every year we're able to get uh, Paul Butler uh, to come out and speak to the group, which I think is, um, you know, something that we can do is kind of a, a small part of uh, getting them maybe a, a little bit of a battery recharge. Um, you know, while our symposium is meant to be, you know, a week of, of learning, but there's also the networking. And, and, and our goal is, um, during that entire week, is to give them uh, a, a good... Uh, outlet for all of the stress that they deal with, uh, you know, throughout day in day out throughout the year. Uh, but also to do it, uh, you know, kind of appropriately too. And, and Paul kicks us off on Mondays. Um, and, um, uh, I think everybody walks out of there, uh, excited about a week of training, right. Um, he, he does such a great job of getting us back to kind of think about our base.
0: He is he is a a legitimate treasure in in the law enforcement community and uh, and I'm very honored that I'm going to be able to uh, um, have a have a uh, position with with your with your training um, and I'll be doing a presentation to your folks as well. I'm very excited about that. That's a great honor for me and also for my organization, the wounded blue. Um, I want to get your opinion about something. Leadership. Law enforcement leadership. It has been it has been so clearly pointed out to me over the years, both from my own experience and from the experience that I have as the founder of the Wounded Blue and and literally um, working with different cops from all over the nation. I have found that Sometimes it isn't the trauma itself that, that really um, sends people into a tailspin, but it's the leadership and the way they deal with the traumas that their officers have experienced. In your role, in your role as a, as a, a, starting as a homicide detective, but then go, going into homicide leadership, And then, once again, in your in your in your further further career uh, as as an officer in this amazing organization, how are you seeing the leadership of law enforcement dealing with the traumas that their cops are facing?
1: You know, I I think that um, I I think there's always room for improvement, right? Uh, And I have seen. people in my agency uh, go through uh, a lot of heartache and pain. Uh, I can think of one that clearly it was PTSD, but you know, whether or not that was what was recognized, (coughs) excuse me, um, or or whether it was believed that was actually what it was. Um, I think that was kind of at the beginning of what um, folks were starting to recognize. Uh, I think they've done a significantly greater job um, <clears throat> helping people, uh, getting them uh, the kind of help that they need. I think what I have seen though is, you know, um, it's it. <clears throat> excuse me. It's not always the agency because you're still dealing with a city or county bureaucracy as well. So oftentimes the agency is is doing what they can um, but then you know the the workman's comp that the officers have to go through try to work through that whole mess and you see them get denied and and you know having to fight and push and be their advocate when in reality it feels like hey listen can somebody just take care of me for what what i've done right i mean i I just need i need the answers for this particular uh problem that i'm dealing with that's where i think i've seen that disconnect is is commonly in the bureaucracy at least in my experience i have heard of incredible horror stories from other agencies
0: yeah i've got i've got a couple (laughs) yeah um in your role that you are currently in with the association, um, what do you see in the future as far as uh, how, how are agencies... are you, Well, let me ask you this. We're seeing a diminishment in retention of law enforcement officers and, and a huge <coughs> diminishment in recruiting of law enforcement officers. And we've seen this happening for several years now. How is that affecting um, the, the realm of homicide investigator?
1: Well, it affects it in the sense that um, y- you have to have uh, people that have experience before they make it into homicides. And when you have this, you know, retention problem, uh, you're not always getting um, a- as experienced of a person that you would like to go into that role. Doesn't mean that they're not capable of it. They just haven't, you know, like I spent almost eight years in patrol and I think that that really helped me um, get up to speed quickly, right? Or, or having had seen a variety of things um, on the job and, you know, how people operate and that kind of thing. So I think that was helpful. Um, so you're seeing a lot of that. and And I think we're seeing just a, Uh, A lot of turnover in agencies. You know, it used to be that I remember going to patrol and, you know, I've got six months on, but I'm standing next to somebody with 20 years in patrol. Well, you know, when I make a decision and I tell this person, hey, I think this is what this is the outcome that I'm going for and this is what we should do. And um, you had that on the job knowledge of them looking at you going, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Or (laughs) now you've got, pretty young folks out there, not young in, in age necessarily, but certainly in, in their career, and they're making the best decisions they can make, but not necessarily having the to, the ability to rely on that kind of experience. So, you know, yeah. two folks are making the decision of doing it. But, but I also think that, you know, our recruitment problem is the best recruiters out there are police officers. And I don't know as uh, many officers now uh, that I used to that would say uh, that would talk about getting into this career uh, that would tell people that you know this is a that where they should go to to work whereas you know during my time you know certainly after uh, 9/11 um, you know there was all kinds of recruitment going because officers were genuinely you um, you know, happy with their jobs and and I think their communities made sure that they understood uh, that they were um, cherished uh, and appreciated. Uh, So I think that that's probably a a detrimental aspect to our recruitment right now, too.
0: You know, um, when you're talking about the, the, the police, the the quality of law enforcement issues and you know, we've we've got we've got these issues. It takes, you know, we if, if we could push a button and go back to normalcy right now, it would still. We have now created. There has now been created a generational issue, that it, mm-hmm. it that you cannot right the ship at this point. It's going to take a long, long time to go back to some sense of normalcy. Now, when I the way I looked at it, it took me at least 3 years to become somewhat competent as a as a police officer and that's mm-hmm. as, that's as a, as a street cop i didn't feel adequate until i had about 4 or 5 years on and that's in mm-hmm. a fast paced environment right of like las vegas and it's it's less it, it's it's you know the the le- the less is thrown at you um, the, the longer it takes time to become competent and all this, but homicide, how long does it take to become competent as a homicide detective?
1: Um, I I would say you're right in that four or five years because you know, the things that you do when you first get there and obviously you're in training and you're, you're learning and, um, you've got a mentor, you don't go to court for two years, maybe three, You know, um, when you talk about all the the pretrial motions and everything, all those things that go into that. So what you did two years ago, you're now testifying to you've learned so much in that two years, you may not do exactly the same thing that you did when you first started. So where you really learn, I think your craft is in court on the stand, figuring out, okay, you know how could I have better documented this? Uh, how could I have better explained something in a report? Uh, you know things of that nature, and um, being able to testify, um, you know, calmly and uh, and answer the questions and, and and all of that. That's that's part of that that skill set that you develop, and it. I I think it takes four to five years as well.
0: You know when when you when you develop those skills and and we we both agree that it it takes significant amount of time that's a quarter of a police career i mean almost right um and then there are so many detectives homicide detectives that once they land in that spot that's it they stay there and i think in some ways that's a really really good thing but in other ways, I wonder if it wears on their emotional well-being to be subjected to what a homicide cop sees for 15 years or 20 years. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I mean, I, when I first went, um, we had folks that were there for 20 years, and they didn't have any issues. I mean, they, they clearly had good coping mechanisms, things of that nature, but. <clears throat> I, it can absolutely wear on you. I know that when I made the decision to promote to sergeant, you know I wasn't the the longest tenured person by any stretch of the imagination in homicide. But you know those those years of uh, working overtime and taking two cars to you know family events and making sure that you made it to Saturday soccer games even though you hadn't slept for thirty six hours uh, and still on call, so you might not get to sleep for another thirty six hours. You know, those kinds of things I think really kind of do wear on you over time. And, um, that, that prompted my desire to, um, want to promote because I really wanted to come back and, and try to make it better for the next, um, group of homicide detectives, but also to be there, um, as that, you know, mentor and, uh, kind of, a you know, give it some longevity and, and I, I think You know, I was fortunate too that my my two uh, very good partners uh, promoted shortly after me. So they did give a lot of um, longevity within the unit, a lot of great training. Um, They were very competent. Uh, They're fantastic homicide detectives. Uh, And and so you right now, I think everybody's doing what they can to push as much experience into their, their homicide units as they possibly can, you know, in the, in the shortest period of time. And we're trying to do that in the symposium as well. Right. I mean, you're trying to All give right, them, so a, I,
0: I want a so I, we're, we're coming to the end of our time. How can people, um, find out more information about the, about your association?
1: Yeah, they can go to our website. That's probably the easiest thing. Uh, it's, uh, <clears throat> org. Um, we, uh, appreciate uh, membership. We think you should be a member of your state Homicide Investigator Association first, um, but <clears throat> we'd love to have you as a member uh, for us as well. Gives you access to uh, detectives from all over the world, really. You have uh, great contact information, <clears throat> great training.
0: And you don't have to be uh, assigned solely to homicide to join.
1: No, you don't. Um, we have a lot of members that are narcotics, robbery, uh, patrol officers. They come to the training. Um, you know, maybe that's what they aspire to do, or they're just learning their tradecraft and, and getting better for what their responses are.
0: Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Wounded Blue Hour. You're doing admirable work. you're uh, you're touching lives, you're leaving a legacy, and your organization is amazing. So once again, I thank you for taking the time for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for everything that you're doing for um, our profession.
0: I appreciate that. Well, this show went by really quickly again. Um, I urge you to Contact me, Randy, at TheWoundedBlue.org if you um, would like to get more information about uh, The Wounded Blue. If you want to contribute as a major sponsor or uh, become a sponsor of this show, please contact me, Randy, at TheWoundedBlue.org. And for all of my brothers and sisters out there, stay safe. Remember, when The Wounded Blue is there, you're never forgotten and you're never alone.